you have the, your Bible with you, you can open with me to Exodus. We're going to study Exodus for the better part of this coming year. How about that? And uh, we're going to be learning lots from it. We're going to see, just as the video told us, that uh, the story of Israel is the story of us. Uh, we were slaves to sin. And God set us free through his son, Jesus Christ. We are now in this life, if we are in this life with him, we are in this life and we have these ups and downs, these backs and forths. We, we believe and then we don't. We trust and then we don't. But we are heading to a promised land, uh, an eternity with our God in heaven. We're going to see all kinds of parallels. Uh, many of you know the story. I pray that we know it better as a result of studying it over these coming months. Uh, but we're going to start here in Exodus chapter 1 as we begin the book and read these verses together. It says uh, there in verse 1, these are the names of the sons of Israel uh, who came to Egypt with Jacob. Uh, Jacob and Israel, same guy. Israel becomes the name of the nation, but it's the given name uh, of the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham, a guy named Jacob. Uh, these are the names of his sons. Uh, they came each with his own household. Uh, here they are, Reuben, great sandwich, just delicious. Um, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, uh, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, these will all become the tribes of Israel in later uh, accounts of their story. And then Dan and Naphtali, uh, Gad and Asher, they, uh, it tells us in verse 5, uh, arrived in, in uh, Egypt, these descendants of Jacob, uh, and there were 70 of them, these sons and their sons and daughters, uh, wives, uh, and, and uh, Jacob himself, Israel, they, they came and there was 70 total. And, and Joseph, he was already there in Egypt. If you know his story at the end of Genesis, you know why. Um, it goes on and it says this, uh, then Joseph died. Well, we kind of fast forwarded a bunch there. Uh, his brothers just arrived and here in the telling of the story in Exodus, uh, we fast forward all the way to their deaths, uh, Joseph and his brothers and all that generation. Uh, and here's a verse that I want to key off of today, but, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. Fruitful and multiplied. That sounds familiar. Where have I read that in the Bible? Uh, if you all go all the way back to the, uh, the first chapter of the first book, that was a command that God gave the first humans. Be fruitful and multiply. And here Moses, who we attribute the, the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible to, uh, he chose to bring that language into his description of what had happened in the story of the descendants of Jacob uh, they had been fruitful and had multiplied. They had increased greatly and were exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. That's all I wanted to read this morning. Thank you very much. Have a good night. No. Uh, we know that uh, the timeline of, of Exodus uh, is basically from the time where uh, Jacob and his sons land in Egypt to join Joseph to the time where the telling of the story of Moses and those that go forward in the book, it's about 430 years. I get that from uh, Exodus chapter 12 where it says the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. Uh, and at the end of 430 years on that very day, all uh, the hosts of the Lord uh, the people of Israel went out from the land of Egypt. At first glance, as you read these first seven verses, they just seem kind of like set up. They seem just kind of like to give the, the you know, it's like the given in an, an, a geometry problem. Here's what's going on, right? You got the sons of Israel, their 70 descendants, they come to Egypt, they die, uh, and then uh, over 400 years, they, they're fruitful and they multiply, they exceed in number, they're great in strength. 
and they fill the land. Now on with the story. But if you came to the book of Exodus and just kind of had that as a, you know, just a setup verse and, and moved on, you'd, you'd miss out on the appreciation of what's really happening here because what you're witnessing is the fulfillment of a promise that was made to an old man and his old wife who had no children. Abraham and Sarah were told, your descendants will number like the sands of the shore. They'll be like the stars in the sky. I will make you a great nation. We're going to read that in just a second. And here we see that promise fulfilled. (laughs) These first seven verses are a proof that God um, keeps his promise to the nation of Israel. And that despite the fact that Abraham and his wife Sarah laughed, uh, well, Sarah did, at the prospects of having a child, despite the fact that they uh, took two steps forward and three steps back, in their following of God, despite their failure and the failure of their eventual descendants, God in his own time and in his own way has brought things to be. He has fulfilled his promise and things are exactly as he wants them, where he wants them and how he wants them. Love that about God. His promises are sure. They don't always work out like we thought. Anybody been aware of that? In my personal life with God, uh, I've noticed that a lot of times when I thought he was going to zig, he zags. And that's, you know, common in life. We all start with some plans on certain days. They don't end up being like what we thought. I, I, uh, I was looking forward to hanging out with my bride uh, this weekend. And, and uh, Friday night, we got a phone call from our son, Ben. He was coming home. There goes those plans, right? Because uh, we're going to hang out with him because we don't get to see him all the time. So he comes home. Um, he sleeps in. Eleanor comes and works here at the garden. I got up and worked out. Can you tell? <laughs> and uh, we all, you know, reconvened at the house and decided to go have lunch. We planned to go to one place. Anybody been to Dats downtown? on McD- It's really good and really popular. If you go there on a Saturday at 11 o'clock, you're not going to park. You're not going to get in. Just don't even drive. So we drove past that restaurant and started to head to another diner we like uh, just north of a uh, town called Tripp's Diner, and, uh, and we were headed there. But as we stopped at a stoplight, I noticed right there on the corner where we were stopped is one of my favorite restaurants in Tampa. It's a place called Miguel's. They have serviceable Tex-Mex food. And, uh, and so I said, hey, Ben, Miguel's is right there. And uh, Eleanor wanted to go to Tripp's, and so she kind of made that known. But, uh, uh, but ben, ben, you know, he was the guest of honor, and so he chose... Uh, to go to Miguel's, and, and, and that's where we ended up going. It wasn't the original plan, but it's, ended, it's where we ended up, right? We got out of there, and I wanted to, um, you know, show my wife that I loved her, and so I didn't take the quickest route home, which is the right way to go, right? I mean, let's get out of the city as fast as possible. But instead, I kind of went up and saw parts of Tampa I've never seen, and uh, that was all kind of just as it happened. Uh, but ultimately, we got back home, Right? Lots of times that's how it feels, at least in my experience with God. Um, I start out with what I think the plan is, and then, well, he's taken me to different places in life. I now live in Brandon, Florida. Anybody else sitting here like me on this one? Never grew up thinking you'd lived in Brandon, Florida, but here you are, right? And so God's gotten you and gotten me to where he wants us to get. He moves his plan forward, always for his glory for our good. Anybody here happy to serve a God 
who is a promise keeper. He's a God who is, as we sang just before I got up, faithful. He can be counted on. All right, I saw lots of hands goes up. Uh, lots of people agree. Uh, but anybody here been like me as well? Uh, when it comes to the promises of God, had questions along the way? <laughs> anybody here ever uh, not been really sure uh, of what he's doing? Uh, a little bit unclear as to um, how this is really going to work out? Sometimes uh, uh, I can uh, trend in this direction. I don't hopefully ever get there, but I can understand how guys like Thomas Jefferson and other famous deists, some people argue if he was a true deist, but anyway, deism is basically this belief that there is a God, but he's not involved. There is a God, he kind of spun everything into space, everything's in place, but he's just kind of left us to our own destinies. Just, we are what we make. Um, it's a hands-off God. Uh, I, I call him the Roomba God. Anybody ever seen one of the uh, robot vacuum cleaners they've made now? I've often wondered about getting one, but uh, the Roomba just kind of sits there until it's told to start vacuuming, and then it just starts bouncing around your house. There's no discernible pattern. It just goes until it senses that it's going to run into the couch, and then it turns. And Hopefully in there somehow he gets the whole carpet. Uh, that's what sometimes my experience with God can feel like. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know where we're going. I don't know where the next, tur next turn's coming. I just hope I get back uh, home, <laughs> back to where uh, he has me. Uh, I'll admit that uh, sometimes when I turn in this direction, uh, this kind of life leaves me wondering about what God's doing, uh, challenged in my faith, frustrated in his decisions. I sat in the living room of a good friend of Eleanor's and I, um, ours, whatever, uh, a couple days ago, and um, she's been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, and many of you who know my friend Cindy are praying for her. Um, on, the, on the good side of the coin, the optimistic thank you God side is the fact that she's still with us, because when I talked to her a couple months ago, she wasn't supposed to last a week. And uh, God continues to give her good days, and, and we're hopeful even that there's, there's more to come in, in, in his healing. Yeah, God? Everybody with me on that? But on the flip side of that, who's with me? Come on. On the flip side of that is why, why she got cancer in the first place. Why didn't you get cancer? Why didn't I get cancer? Why did she get cancer? As sweet as it is to have my boy home, we haven't made any... Mysteries about this, uh, our oldest is kind of making his own decisions. He's, he's kind of left the, the ranch in terms of his relationship with Christ. And um, we love him and we still engage as parents and son. And, um, but it's painful to watch uh, someone you love so much do things that from your own experience, uh, you know, just aren't going to lead to life and the way it's meant to be. Yeah, it keeps you up late at night. It gets you up early in the morning. It becomes the subject of coffee conversations with you and your bride as you try to figure out what the heck. What's up, Lord? We thought this would be over by now. Hmm. I could go deeper into the things of my life, but you have yours, I have mine. The question areas... 
the places where we wonder if God's promises are true. We're, we're in good company. Just read your Bibles. <laughs> Almost every hero in there is a doubter at one time or another. We're going to look at Abraham doubt here in just a second. But from Abraham uh, comes um, Isaac. From Isaac comes Jacob, who had a wrestling match with God or one of his messengers. <laughs> I feel like I've been wrestling with God in big chunks of my life. Uh, you move forward and guys like David, who was anointed king of Israel and then had to run from the king of Israel, hiding caves, fearful for his life. He had questions for God. You got prophets like Elijah and Jeremiah who got so despondent that they accused God of tricking them. That's what Jeremiah said. You fooled me. Elijah got so depressed, he left the promised land, kept walking south until he found a cave, and he just wanted to lay down and die because he was struggling with God's plans for his life. How do you think those first disciples felt on the night that the soldiers came into the Garden of Gethsemane and took their Savior away in chains? I know how Peter felt over my dead body. He, like, sprang to action, hauls out a sword, starts hacking ears, Right? This is not the plan. And I will die for my plan to be in place. And Jesus just says, Pete, 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 Pete. And puts the ear back on. And willingly, without a fight, surrenders to those that he had made and allows them to kill him. That same Peter's hanging out in a courtyard as they're whipping his master, his, his Messiah, to within an inch of his life. And he is so f flustered and frustrated and terrified that he denies that he even knows him three times. I think those were some scared puppies, some disenchanted disciples. Yeah, you're in good company. If you ever get to the point in life where you're just like, I don't know, Lord. <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you what God does for me in those moments. And what he did for every one of those characters that I uh, just shared the stories of, Abraham, David, Jeremiah, Elijah, the disciples. He affirms us in those times of trouble. He reminds us of his faithfulness. As I've been uh, just walking through different seasons in my life, wondering what God's up to, uh, verses that I've memorized as a little kid, like one of the first verses that I ever, or a group of verses I ever memorized was in the book of Proverbs. Solomon's talking to his kids here, and he says to his sons, hey guys, trust in the Lord with all of your hearts, and lean not on your own understandings. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your paths straight. Have heard those before? I always thought it meant obey the Lord with all of your heart. Obey the Lord with all of your heart. I thought it was an obedience, and it is. There's certainly obedience tied in there. But the first word of those verses is what? Trust. Trust. Trust should be the, the beginning. It, it is the beginning of any relationship with God. It's our trust, our faith in what Christ has done on the cross that brings us into right relationship with God. Trust is what allows us to wake up and remember that it's, it's God who gives us mercies that are new every morning. 
It's trust that allows us to walk into whatever we're facing and keep going, regardless of what our circumstances seem to be dictating. Leaning on our own understandings, that's going to bring mess. Always has, always will. But trust. Trust will get us through. So here's what I choose to believe and therefore know to be true. God is the writer of all history. It's his plans that we are living in. He's always moving his story forward. Uh, He has a plan. And even when we don't understand or fail to see his plan, he is at work always for our glory and for our good. And some of you say, well, wait a minute, Mark. His plan doesn't always feel good. I hear you preach that all the time. God's in control and his plans are for his glory and our good. Well, how come it's not good then? Well, you've, you've got to define some terms here. Because for you, if you say good, and you mean happy, tranquil, problem-free, no stress, smiling. Certainly that is one definition of good. But when I say that God is working for his glory and our good, I'm not including the feelings that are often associated with good. I'm talking about our betterment. How about this? Salad is good. Not in the way that I first explained good. Because when I eat salad, I'm not smiling. I'll be honest with you. (laughs) But salad is good because it's good for me. (laughs) I woke up yesterday morning and I worked out. I ran from my house all around my lake in 90 plus degree weather in 400% humidity. And I trudged up 60 and crossed right there at the mall entrance so I could go to the U-Fit, which until last Monday, I had not visited for 784 days. (laughs) Top that. (laughs) But I did it. I hated it. Every second. It was painful. I woke up this morning, and my first thought was, why did I do that? Because <laughs> it's still painful. But here's why. Because it's good. It's good for me. It's hard. I'm not smiling. But it's good. So when I say to you that God moves his plan forward for his glory always, everything that God does is for his glory. <laughs> But for our good, don't, don't just kind of hit, you know, eject and say, I'm out. Because my life's not good, so God's not good. I don't know. I didn't say your life was always going to be happy. What I said is that God will allow things, anything, all things that happen in your life for your good. Now, as we kind of jump into Exodus, I really encourage you over the times that we're studying this to to maybe go back and read Genesis because you're you're not going to really understand a lot of the things we're saying in Exodus. In fact, you wouldn't appreciate what we just read in Exodus uh, chapter 1, verse 7, where we learned that God had uh, prospered Israel, that they had been fruitful and multiplied, that they were a great nation. You wouldn't appreciate how powerful those words are, how that's the fulfillment of God's promise if you hadn't understood that God had made this promise to two old people old barren people. 
You can't appreciate the miracle unless you know where it is. It's like uh, um, so important to the process. So the time that I have left, I'm tired, guys. My head's getting all fuzzy. Where am I? Is everybody here? Is everybody with me here? Here we go. Just two things and we'll go home. Um, Like I've been saying, God initiates initiates plans for his glory and our good. Uh, It started with creation. That was God's plan. Uh, He created all it is, everything that you have, I have, it's from him. Uh, He he got at the end of every day of creation, he got to the end and said what? It's good. Yeah, good. That's good. He got to the end of the day where he created us and the end of creation itself and he said, this is very good. It's really good. It's awesome. Now, you got to i got to go into theology here for a little bit. God knew that man was going to sin because he knows everything. It wasn't a surprise to him. He's like, oh, wow. So he had already, in his plan to create creation, created us and knew that we were going to sin. And so he had already, in his knowing that we were going to sin, created a plan that was going to rectify our sin. And as he finds out about that first sin, he uh, rightly asks the man and the woman what was going on. They continually point the finger down the line until it gets to the snake and he's just smiling, right? And, uh, and then God starts rightly, as a righteous and just God, he starts doling out the punishments. But even as he's doling out the punishments, even as, as his angels are in the background shutting down the garden, he gives his plan. He shares his hope for you and I and the rest of humanity. Because he gets to the, to the snake, Satan himself, and this is what he says to him. He says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, not just this woman, Eve, humanity, represented by Eve. He says, I'll, I'll put enmity between your offspring, plural, and her offspring, singular. Well, now it's changing because it used to be an us against them. It's really not an us against them. It's an them against him. Because he goes on and he says, Uh, God says, he, this one who will come from woman, shall bruise your head. The English Standard Version kind of lightens up on the word. The actual Hebrew word means crush. He will stomp your head. I don't know if you've ever stomped on a bug or uh, some other, you know, pest around you. If you stomp on their head, they're usually done. You'll bruise his heel, but he'll stomp your head. Here, in the beginnings of the beginnings, God institutes his plan of redemption. It would come through the one that we know now to be Jesus. And as the Bible moves forward in its story, it kind of narrows how this one predicted here in Genesis 3 would, would come to us. It's, it's in Genesis chapter 12 that we realize that these descendants of Israel would be the ones chosen of God uh, to be the descendants of the one spoken of in Genesis 3. Because here comes God. He's going to talk to Abram, uh, this guy who's just living out near uh, uh, the, the, the Tigris uh, River. He's out in the, in the place that we know now as, as modern-day Iraq and a place that was then called Ur. And he comes to Abram and he says, go from your country and your kindred and, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Um, he comes to this guy. Hi, I'm God. Um, I need you to move. And by faith, I just want you to go. And by faith, if you know the story, that's what Abraham did. And as a result of his faith, this is what God agreed or, or said he would do. He says, uh, I will, verse 2, um, I will make of you a, a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a, a blessing. 
Well, what do you mean by that, God? Well, let me tell you, I, I will bless those who bless you, and, I, uh, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. And if you've studied these texts before, you know that uh, he's speaking of Abram being the one from whom this offspring in Genesis chapter 3 would descend from. God's going to bless everybody through Abram. What, a, what an incredible promise. And so Abram moves, gets up and at his own peril and at his own risk, leaves everything that he knows and goes to this foreign land that he never saw. No brochures, no websites. Just got up and followed the promptings of God. He got there and he waited. Because here, just so we're all clear, he was an old man when God said move. He and his wife had, had probably been together for years and had tried, as I'm guessing, as, as, as every couple uh, in those days would have, had tried to bear children. But they had been left barren without children. And so this promise, if I go, he'll give me a, a, a child. He'll, he'll from this child bless not just my descendants, but he'll bless the whole world. And one chapter goes and the next chapter goes and the next chapter goes and there's no kid. And so here's what we have to kind of leave understanding. God's plans won't always sync up with ours. They just don't. Sometimes he's going to make us wait longer. Sometimes he's going to work it in ways that we never thought. But he will always see his plans through. God comes to Abraham three chapters later in chapter 15 of Genesis, and he, he allows him to, to fall asleep or he comes to him and, and shows him this vision. And he says his first words, fear not. Have you ever noticed how messengers from God and God himself almost always start with fear not? Now, I think sometimes if, you know, an angel showed up, sure, we'd need to be calmed down, settle down. I know you're not used to seeing me. Let's, you know, it's all good. But, but I think a lot of times fear not is just born of the fact that you and I, in our sin, in our rebellion, in our fealty, feeble, feebleness, feel, whatever, frailty. That's where I was going. Frailty. I got there. Because we are weak. Our trust goes out the window. Fear comes in. Given an opportunity in a situation where we don't control things and we don't know how things are going to work out, we're going to go dark. Whatever people aren't up on, they're down on. And so no wonder God comes and anytime he's going to affirm, he starts with, hey, let's get rid of that anxiety. Let's get rid of that fear. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward is shall be very great. It's a truncation, but he's basically saying, hey, don't forget, I told you, I'm going to make you a great nation. I see that you've moved. I appreciate your faith. I haven't gone to sleep on this deal. It's going to happen. Here's what Abram does. He does what we do. Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. In case God wasn't listening, Abraham's going to repeat himself. Abram said, behold. Anytime you read behold in the Bible, behold is like um, a parent saying to his kid, listen, look at me. Anybody ever gotten that from your parents when you were growing up? Anybody ever said that to your kids? We're elevating the communication at that point, aren't we? Metaphorically, what Abram's doing is he's trying to take him to the shoulders of God and saying, listen. Behold, you have given me how many offspring? No offspring. I got zero kids. I don't know how this whole descendant nation thing is supposed to work. 
But in my understanding, I've got to have the first kid before there can be more. You've given me no kids. And he repeats his fear. A member of my household will be my heir. This guy Eliezer of Damascus was his butler, essentially. And as his chief slave in that culture, if you didn't have kids, whatever you had went to your first slave. Anybody else get like this from time to time? Freaking out on God? Angry with his determinations, disappointed with his directions. Praying and even as you're praying, drowning out the voice of God's assurances because of your fear. Calm down, Christian. Trust in the Lord. Because here's what he's probably whispering to you in your desperation. God comes to Abram and he says to him, this man shall not be your heir. Settle down, Abe. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then he, as he so kindly and graciously does, he takes Abram in this vision outside and he shows him the, the night sky and he says, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, go ahead and try. And then he says to him, so shall your offspring be. God loves to comfort the discomforted. He loves to assure those who fear. He wants to do that with us, to remind us that he's faithful. Hmm. Here's the kicker. Abraham, upon hearing this assurance, says that he believed the Lord and that God counted it to him as righteousness. That phrase is going to appear in your Old Testaments and your New Testaments over and over again. It's going to basically be reported that this is what draws us into relationship with God. This is what makes us righteous in God. It's not all of our acts. It's not all of our efforts. It is our faith and our trust in him that brings us into right relationship with him and leads us into his righteousness. Abraham had his doubts. But upon the reassurances of his God, he got back to faith in the faithful one. Jesus, you know, hundreds of years later, finally arrives, predicted in Genesis, narrowed to being a descendant of Abraham. By the way, if you don't know the story, Abraham has a son. His name's Isaac. His name means laughter because that's what his mother did when God assured Isaac or Abraham that Isaac would be born. Uh, from Isaac came Jacob and Esau, and Jacob was chosen to be the descendant from whence the, the nation of Israel would come. And then fast forward to the story of Jesus, born of the tribe of Judah. That's a whole other great story in Genesis. You should read it because Judah was a dirtbag who God used anyway. <laughs> yeah, I said dirtbag. It's in the Hebrew. Jesus comes on the scene and he, he's, you know, you've heard me preach it here hundreds of times if you've hung out the last 15 years. He, he came in anonymity, born in a manger, no fanfare. He's, we'd seen hardly any of his life up until the time that he's 30. He comes out and is baptized and initiated into his ministry. He heals and preaches and provides, casts out demons, does all these incredible things. He, he creates this massive following. The whole nation is 
uh, you know, either on one side of the fence or the other. They either love him or they hate him. Um, his followers are confident that he is the Messiah. And their plan for their Messiah was that the Messiah would overthrow Rome. And they were fighting over chairs in the throne room once Jesus became king. But then one night Jesus takes them up for the Seder feast, a feast that was associated with Passover, which comes from the story of Exodus. And Jesus says, no, this is my body. He took a piece of bread and says it's broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. I'm going to die. And even, even at this point, they're still not getting it. But that night they went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and soldiers came. And they took Jesus captive. He was betrayed by one of the 12 who kissed him on the cheek to make sure in the dark the soldiers knew who to take. Peter, who was one of the uh, you know, men who had the plan for Jesus as Messiah, who every time Jesus had talked about going to Jerusalem and dying had said, no, that's not the plan, leapt into action. This will not be so. Hauls out a knife, starts hacking ears. He's not very good with it. And Jesus says, Pete, 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 Pete. Put the knife away. Your plans are not the plan. The disciples run and hide, all of them betraying the one who they had followed. Only John is reported even being by the cross. And he just stood there, I'm sure, befuddled, aghast, and unaware of the plan. Jesus, before he had died, came to them in John 16, and he told them, listen, I'm going to start speaking more clear. He spoke in parables a lot of times. Uh, you know, he spoke metaphorically so that people, you know, the disciples had to be, hey, we heard you. We don't know what you meant. But he says, I'm just going to speak real clear to you. And they said, oh, we're so grateful. Thanks for keeping it clear. Uh, but even in his clarity, they weren't clear. <laughs> you ever had that experience at work where you thought for sure you had made yourself clear and those who worked with you or worked for you were like totally, huh, what? That's the disciples all the time. And so Jesus says these words to him, and we'll close with this. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. Like this is, John 16 is right before he's betrayed. When you will be scattered, I'm going to die, you're going to run. Each to his own home, and you'll leave me alone. I won't totally be alone. My father will be left me. But he says this, behold, oh, excuse me, <laughs> I have, there I go, I'm ready. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. What a, what a, what a, wow. I've told you the bad news that you're going to run, that I'm going to die, that you're going to leave me. I've told you the bad news so that in me you might have peace. I've told you that it's going to be hard so that in me you might have peace. Everybody read this last part with me. In the world you will have tribulation. Testify. But take heart, Jesus says to his disciples. Take heart, Jesus says to these disciples. I have overcome the world. So no matter how things look, 
no matter how desperate, no matter how many times you fail to have faith, I'm faithful. No matter how many times you wander, my promise is sure. Can I give you just a a few quick lines as we close on what to do while you're waiting? If you're in a period right now where you're just waiting for God to, to act, to show, to lead, a couple of things. First of all, admit that you don't know what you don't know. Okay, God knows we don't. Everybody with me on that? God sees we can't. So trust the one that knows. Anybody remember the show? Are you smarter than a fifth grader or whatever that was? They put like American adults on a show with 10-year-olds to embarrass them, right? Okay. <laughs> Sometimes on those shows, the kids were smarter than the adults. But I, I think on par, in general, 40-year-olds are smarter than 10-year-olds. Can we hope that that's true? Can we hope that that's true? In the same way, the finite is nowhere near as wise as the infinite. The finite cannot know where the infinite always does. Just admit that you don't know what you don't know. Bloom where you're planted. No matter how horrible things are in your circumstances, trust God and honor him there. Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, right? Plans to make you prosper. Anybody heard those verses? You got it on a coffee cup? Good on you. You know where Jeremiah told the nation of Israel or the inhabitants of Judah to do that? They were in Babylon, captivity. They had just been told they're going to be here for 70 years. If you back up a few verses from Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah says, hey, man, marry off your daughters, plant your vineyards, bloom where you're planted. Because God's got you, even if it's hard. The last thing is this. Can I just encourage you, if you're awaiting God to move and act and rescue, can you understand that if you're going through suffering, that that is in great part what we've been called to as we follow Christ? Paul says, you know what, I want to know Christ and I want to know him in his suffering. What a strange thing to want. But Paul understood, and we should understand with him, that apart from experiencing the challenges of true faith, of walking with him when we don't know, our faith won't grow. We can't become all that God has called us to be, except that we walk through hard things. You know, the worst thing that ever happened in the world the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Every other atrocity pales in comparison to the one who was without sin dying for sin. That's the worst thing that's ever happened on the globe. The best thing that's ever happened in this world is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so suffering is often appointed, allowed, and the plans of God to bring about his glory and our good. All right, I'm done. We're going to sing one more time about the faithfulness of our God. I pray you sing it, believing it, not just because it's on the screen and you like the tune. I pray you sing these words as your prayer, as your statement of faith. 
that our God is faithful and forever will be. Stand with me as we sing. fact that we see that you are God, that you are in control, and where I cannot see, I trust you to lead so that your plan for your glory and our good becomes a reality in our lives, and I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.